This is Binod Shankar and you're listening to the Real Finance Mentor podcast from the realfinancementor.com. The Real Finance Mentor is your go-to resource for insight and inspiration on careers in finance, CFA and more. I would think why this podcast? Well, my goal is to deliver insight and inspiration for your finance career by making it one relatable. This is not theoretical stuff. We zero in on the critical practical issues. Number 2, authentic. No bullshit, no sidestepping. The topics, guests and questions are all from that perspective. And number 3, take a chartered accountant CFA charter holder, add 17 plus years as a corporate warrior, mix in 10 years of entrepreneurship, through a decade of full-time CFA training, add speaking, mentoring, cycling and mountaineering, and that's me. Welcome to the Real Finance Mentor, or as I call it, RFM. Hi everyone, this is Binod Shankar here uh, with the Real Finance Mentor podcast. bring you yet another episode of this uh, unique podcast that focused on inspiration and insight for your careers specifically in finance so as you know with every episode i bring a guest who has gone through an interesting background in terms of education work experience career achievements um cultural background and this episode is no different Uh, today i'm going to be talking to aisha tarik aisha is a cfa charter holder who started her uh, career as a corporate banker in standard chartered bangladesh and then she moved to the united arab emirates in 2006 she then moved to a regional bank before becoming the treasury head of a local group and finally a consultant now working with the regional bank on syndications She is a single parent who has had a career in finance over the last 17 years. Now I must say uh, Aisha wrote this introduction herself and it is characteristically very modest. Uh and you'll understand why I say that once I start talking to her and we discover more about her her experiences her views and her career. So welcome Aisha to the show. Thank you Vinod. Thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. It's still uncommon I should find many women in your industry, right? Banking. Tell me about the key challenges as a woman in banking, both as an employee and now as an entrepreneur and how you dealt with this. Sure. Um I'd say a big challenge that I faced um is the need to overcompensate. So as a woman, I've always felt that I've needed to work a little bit harder to prove myself. Um, no matter how smart i may be i think women uh, as women we are always trying to make up for what may be perceived as our shortcomings like having a child or managing a home so for example um i think twice before taking a day off to care for my sick child however i've noticed that uh, men don't necessarily have to think that way so if they want to take time off uh, when they're sick it's no big deal um whereas i've always felt that i'd be criticized for not making work my priority um i've actually heard people say that uh, women shouldn't be hired because they may decide to start a family or because they may take more sick days and um i don't mind the hard work okay but it's the disparity which isn't really right um i'd say another major challenge is being able to find uh, 
the balance, you know, the balance in your behavior, trying to be assertive, uh, but not come off as aggressive. So if a woman is demanding, she automatically becomes aggressive. But if a man does it, he's just a go-getter. So it's almost as if, you know, the world has decided that uh, women need to act a certain way. Um, you need to be meek, um, somewhat soft, you know, you need to have a sweet temperament. And uh, of course, being too ambitious is somewhat of a sin. But fortunately for me, I come from a family of strong, accomplished women. My mom and aunt are both doctors. Uh, my grandmother is, uh, was a school teacher. And um, in my home, uh, none of these things were even issues, right? So we were taught to be proper. We were taught to be decent. Um, but there was no distinction between a boy or a girl. So in the beginning, um, all of this sort of baffled me, you know, how people behaved. But now I've learned to live with it and um, I just shrug it off. I'd say another big challenge uh, that I still face is being second-guessed. So uh, whether it was as a banker or uh, later as a consultant, I think people don't readily want to take financial advice from a woman. And even if you know you have the experience and the knowledge, and much of the time, um, I think they don't even want to hear what you have to say uh, because they just can't believe that you can know your stuff, that you can be that smart, right? So you're just dismissed. And um, honestly, I'd say this still really gets to me. I mean. It's difficult. So in reality, there's no way to completely overcome these challenges. You know, it takes a lot of time, uh, a lot of patience, and sometimes it is very frustrating. But um, all I can say to the girls out there is don't let it get to you too much, right? You should be proud of making it to where you are and you should know that you have every right to be there. Um, and take comfort in the fact that you're not alone, okay? So just don't stop. Fight the good fight every day. For example, just the other day, I was having a conversation with my daughter at home and she tells me, why do you talk about it being challenging? Being a woman has never stopped you from doing what you've wanted to do. And honestly, I have to say, this filled my heart with joy because that's the world I want where, you know, people are just people. Um, they're not a gender, they're not a race, and they're not a nationality. Hmm. <clears throat> which brings me, of course, to my next question, uh, Aisha, which is, when you look around, why is it that there are so few women in banking and finance, not just the senior levels, but even at the junior entry levels in almost every organization you can think of? Well, uh, long hours for one, okay? So as women, we have to look after the household and uh, the long hours just don't accommodate a balanced life outside work. So I, for example, have missed a lot of school events. And sometimes I feel a little sad that I've missed a lot of my child's life. 
So, and you know, even when I was home, I was just too tired to cook or take her anywhere. And um, I remember a time when I used to rush home at six o'clock just to spend a few hours with her. Um, and then I'd open my laptop again and carry on working after she went to bed. So it is challenging, but I, I have to add here that um, saying that I'm a single parent is a bit unfair because I've been very fortunate to have my mother with me. As I said, she's a doctor and she's still working. So she gets it and she's always supported me no matter how long I've needed to be at work. Um, so it's a big help when you have people who support you. Um, I think another reason is because finance is still a boys club, um, more so than many other professions. And I think it's a bit of a vicious cycle really, um, because, because there are fewer women, it makes it uncomfortable for the few women who are there, right? So it's almost like the men have their private jokes and they generally act differently around the women. So many times I've walked into a room and suddenly there would be silence. So I think it's just hard for us overall. You know, women are constantly fighting to speak up. Um, they're fighting for their salaries. They're fighting for their promotions. And um, in finance, uh, particularly banking, uh, it's very competitive, right? And I don't think women always win. Um, we, we constantly undersell ourselves. Uh, so for example, we look at a job description and we say, oh, I, I can only do 60% of this. So why bother applying, you know? So all of this makes it even more difficult for us to move up the ladder. So in the end, we have an idea that women don't do well in finance. And quite possibly, uh, we get discouraged from even trying. And I have to tell you, I'm no different, by the way. I mean, I am a confident person, but even I've had my moments, you know, and even I've had my doubts. Um, so even now, I think I don't market myself as much as I could. So it's all work in progress for all of us, but I don't think that that should hold us back. Mm. Interesting what you said, Aisha, because lots of research has been done on this topic of women's participation in uh, finance and other industries. And there are external factors as well as internal factors. And there's no denying the boys club and the male dominated workplaces that deter advancement in, in many places. There's also no sure. denying the fact that women, like you rightly said, undersell themselves. And some research done in the US some years ago, which I still remember vividly, which is that a man will stand for public office if he has only even a 5% chance of winning. But a woman will only stand for the same public office if she has at least a 50% chance of winning. Um, okay. As a result, um, men give it a shot and sometimes they make it, right? But yes. as a result, women rarely take, give it a shot when they could have made it. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Uh, moving on from uh, one interesting topic to another, which of course is close to my heart, which is the CFA program, right? Now, you're of course a CFA charter holder, Aisha. Now, 
I'm curious, why did you enroll for the CFA program? And I say that because it's a niche qualification that's more relevant in asset management, um, wealth management, investment research, and not especially useful in corporate banking, which is one sec- the sector where you spend the maximum amount in, of time in your career, right? So why? Yep. Well, good question. Um, so I think I've mentioned to you earlier that I joined the IG program in Standard Chartered. But uh, I actually never wanted to be a banker. So I did my undergrad with a major in marketing. And um, I was all set to have a career in Unilever or Procter & Gamble. But then um, this program came up and uh, it was fantastic. So I got in without a referral and I realized that I was one of three people chosen to represent the country. And so my journey in finance and banking began. You know, but I always felt like there was a finance degree missing from my life, right? Mm. And then uh, later on, when I was in Standard Chartered Abu Dhabi, we did a few interesting transactions there. Uh, one of them being the dividend recap for Al Nur Hospitals, which was the first of its kind in the region. And um, while I love corporate banking, I started to realize that there's a whole world out there in banking and finance. There's so much more that can be done, right? And I wanted to explore that. So my answer to anything in this world is to hit the books. Yeah. Mm. But in this case, I felt um, if I wanted to move into a career uh, around asset management or portfolio management, Um, I felt like a degree or a qualification would really help. Hmm. And then uh, obviously the best option was the CFA program. Why? Um, I looked into the curriculum. It is well-rounded, right? And it's well-respected. It was also very, very convenient for me because I got to study on my own time. And um, I think, the idea of having those three letters behind my name is a professional designation. I actually really like that. And it was, it was an important factor for me. Well done. And of course, uh, the CFA program is legendary, uh, notorious, shall I say, for being a grueling um, multi-year marathon that can drain and strain <laughs> force you to make oh yes push yourself beyond <laughs> what you thought was possible so my next question would be a question which i think lots of cfa candidates would benefit um, significantly from and that question is what were your three biggest challenges while studying for the cfa exams and how did you tackle these um there were a few mm. um So when I started, many of the things that I was reading about, um, I hadn't encountered in real life, right? Or I hadn't studied them before, like bonds, for example. Um, And I have never been good at just blindly memorizing things. So figuring these things out on my own uh, was a little bit tough, right? Especially because my aim was to actually learn something and not just to pass an exam. Um, So I suppose knowing you at that time would have been very helpful, uh, but (laughs) somehow I managed through. Um, I'd say uh, the other challenge was definitely time. 
And I think this is so for most CFA candidates. Um, I had a demanding job. I had a family. So my study hours were between 10 p.m. and midnight, right? And the way I managed this was never to break the chain. So no matter how tired I was, um, I'd come home, I'd open my books, and uh, even if it was for five minutes. And uh, sometimes um, I realized that I'm just reading something and reading something, and I didn't understand a word of you know, what's being said because my brain was just so tired and it wasn't functioning, right? Um, but I just did what I could. Um, I carried on and it uh, worked out. Um, so I'd say the, a third challenge, and this is, I think, also a, quite a big one for many people, is motivation, okay? So when you're already working and you're making money, um, you sometimes question whether going through all of this is really worth it, you know? Because it is a lot of hard work. Um, and you even wonder whether you'll even make it. So for this, honestly, I didn't overcome it on my own. Uh, my mother, my daughter, and my dear friend Fatima, these three, they were my constant source of encouragement. They kept cheering me on until the very last day. And I'm very grateful for having people in my life, you know, who believe in me. And having that support system, I think, is very, very important. I can identify with uh, all the, well, some of the three points you mentioned, you know, especially the first point about being difficult to figure out things on your own because you haven't applied it in real life at work. And that was my case as well. Sure. I wasn't working in asset management or wealth management, right? So right. sitting at home late in the evening, mm -hmm. pouring over your Shweza books, and trying to figure out the complexity of derivatives, which I used to hate, which I still hate, um, was not easy. Um, but I see that definitely that time management and motivation can be massively challenging, especially when you have a family and hectic schedule and you're already successful at your career, so why bother, right? Yeah. Now let's move on from academics, um, which you're pretty good at, um, into <laughs> a significant uh, milestone in your career. That's when you transferred from Standard Chartered Bangladesh, where you got in as an uh, international graduate in the IG program, one of the three to represent the country, which itself was a significant uh, achievement. You transferred from Standard Chartered Bangladesh to Standard Chartered Abu Dhabi, and that too with a promotion. Now, when we had an earlier conversation on this, you ascribed this move, this promotion to luck, which I totally don't believe. I mean, you're undoubtedly bright to get into a major multinational bank in Bangladesh without a referral and be only one of three is not luck, right? So I'm thinking there are other factors. So what are the three other factors other than luck that played a big role, not just in this move, Aisha, but also generally in your corporate life? So it's a funny story, actually. So after we spoke, um, when, when I think back, uh, I, I actually later found out that one of the main reasons I got the job was because a senior person at the time had told the hiring manager that if he didn't hire me, he'd be making a big mistake. 
And um, I think when I told you this, you pointed out to me that this is the power of networking. And uh, of course, you're right. And the more I think about it, uh, the more I realize that I have always valued the power of relationships. Um, I've never even actually applied for a job, you know. Um, I've always changed jobs because of people I know. Uh, so yes, uh, I think making the right impression and building relationships is very important, even if you don't keep in touch every day, right? So I think a uh, second thing that I've always, uh, or the second thing that helped me was um, always being genuine, right? So one of the reasons I think I managed to form those relationships is by being honest and uh, genuine. So people know when you're faking, trust me, they just know. And um, I think that was also one of the reasons that I was chosen for the IG program. So it wasn't just about being smart or how well you present yourself, but mm -hmm. also about how well you adjust with other people from all over the world. And you can't do that if you're faking it. Um, the other thing I'd say was probably my eagerness to work in Abu Dhabi. Uh, 15 years ago, that was a city that people had hardly heard about, okay? And it was a place where I didn't know anyone, um, but I was willing to take that leap of faith, right? I, hadn't, I don't think I have changed much from then. I am still open to new adventures, uh, not mountain climbing, by the way, uh, but <laughs> adventures where, which will challenge my life and um, which will drastically change my circumstances. Um, so if you ask me, I'd say that I'm flexible, you know, flexible and open to a challenge because honestly, I think there's no point in working unless you're excited about what you do. Uh, yes, I mean, I definitely identify uh, with the answer to the previous question, Aisha, because um, I mean, uh, building relationships has been critical in my career as well. And uh, people make the big difference, right? People hire people, they don't hire CVs, as, as, sure. as you well know. So that makes a difference. And your stories, I was thinking as you're speaking is particularly um, poignant in my case, because my mom went with me when I was a six-year-old young boy to Nigeria, thousands of kilometers yeah. away, uh, as a single parent, as a single mom. So you, know, so you coming with your daughter from Bangladesh to UAE and my mom going from India to Nigeria in the mid seventies, uh, strong parallels there, let's put it that way. And it takes uh, a very strong woman to do that as well. Yeah. She's very brave, she's very brave. Right, let's go and talk about something which is probably not something everyone wants to talk about, right? Which is about <laughs> bosses, right? Ooh. Now, you've probably had a few bad bosses like most people, right? Um, what are the three things that you learned from your worst bosses? And equally importantly, how was that useful later in corporate life for you? Well, thankfully, uh, I haven't had that many bad bosses. Um, but um, let's see if I can tell you about a few bad behavior that I've sworn that I would never do, okay? Uh, firstly, 
never scold or shame a person in front of their juniors, right? Mm. You completely undermine a person's credibility. Um, I think difficult conversations uh, should always take place in private, no matter what. Uh, second, never steal credit. And I, I think this happens quite often. Mm. Um, many bosses um, don't want to give their employees credit for their work. They want to look good. And somehow uh, they manage senior, they manage to convince senior management that um, it was all they're doing. And I really don't understand what that's about. I mean, it always makes me so proud uh, to see my juniors do well. And I take any opportunity to say so, because in the end, they are a reflection of my management skills, right? And my teaching. And uh, lastly, I would say, never try to catch someone in a lie. Um, this is a little bit of a weird one. And um, I don't think I even know what people are trying to accomplish with this. So let me give you an example. Um, I had a boss uh, who was trying to get me to admit to something that I hadn't done. So, and then he threatened to uh, have me confront my accuser. And uh, of course I had no problem with that. Uh, but it all became quite ugly, you know? And in the end, he ended up looking quite silly. Mm. Um, so I think it's just one of those very odd things uh, that people do. But yeah, I think I'd say these three are things that I'd say I'd never do. Yeah, you are definitely lucky not having any terrible bosses, but also quite self-aware in, like you said, learning from what you must not do by observing certain bosses doing certain things. I particularly connect with your second point about never stealing credit, right? I've always been a strong mm -hmm. believer in giving credit, whether it is front office, middle office, or back office teams, uh, yes. making sure that those names were mentioned because they also played a part in making something happen, sure. right? It's not just you. Of course. And, and uh, actually lift their motivation and morale a lot when they hear their name mentioned in public. Um, I, in yeah. fact, uh, talking about credit, I, I used to run, as you know, a, a, a training financial training company. And as we grew, we used to hire more and more uh, expert financial trainers, CFA charter holders. And sometimes my students would come to me and say, talking about a batch in which another trainer, a trainer that I had hired, had performed brilliantly. And mm. they would come and say, he was good. He was probably better than you. <laughs> and I was actually quite happy to hear that because it meant that we had gone from being a single owner, owner managed, owner run shop to more of a corporate undertaking, which was scalable and respected. Absolutely. And I used to feel very happy that we had now a bigger bench of talent. And that, like you said, that if you have a trainer that is motivated and performing well at his job or an employee, that's a reflection mm -hmm. of your skills as a manager as well, right? Yes, so absolutely. That was a fantastic You taught point. him well. <laughs> well, let's say he was hugely talented and smart and things like that, but it helps to have the right environment so that, you know, those people can bloom, right, as well. Yes. 
Right. Let's talk about the UAE and uh, one big sector, which is banking, right? And financial services. Now, big yeah. banks with big brands, Aisha, look attractive places to get a job, right? But in the GCC and probably in other parts of the world as well, right? Because let's face it, bankers don't really rank right at the top in terms of the provision a child aspires to be, right? Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> that, but these banks have acquired a reputation for not exactly being the best places to work in for someone who is smart and ambitious and you know, um, is sensitive to how they're treated. So why are such appearances, external appearances so deceptive? And uh, more importantly, since you have worked with both multinational bank, uh, bank like a Standard Chartered Bank and a big local bank, what are your top three health warnings for someone looking to work in banks in this region? Look, um, it's a little unfortunate, but I think with some of the banks in the region, the approach is very hierarchical, right? So the culture is driven down from the top. So if you are a junior employee, your word counts for nothing even if you've said something smart. So the default position is that titles are important. So it matters who's saying something rather than what's being said. You, for example, you can almost never write an email directly to a senior manager without going through your immediate boss. And um, in fact, you're not even really allowed to speak up or interact with very senior management. So if you are a very smart person and you don't have that exposure to the senior management, there's no way for you to be recognized unless your immediate boss pushes you to the forefront, right? So this results in a culture of boss worship because uh, it's about all you can really do to move up the ladder. And then learning and just being better becomes secondary. I also think there's a lot of fear mongering, you know, and work is very target driven. So to the point where you'll do almost anything to book a client, you know, just to keep your job. Mm. And this never ends well, never. So in my first job as Standard Chartered, um, I'd even made presentations to directly to global heads, you know, and, and that's a big deal. But that was a culture back then, mm. you know, it was an open door culture. You could approach anyone. And we were never stopped from interacting with the senior people. And this, I'll tell you, this builds confidence, right? And if you attend higher level meetings like with senior management, it also helps you become a better leader and appreciate the roles that you will one day fill. So I think back then um, there was a lot of emphasis on uh, learning. And I'm really just very grateful that I got my start then because it's made a big difference in my life. Absolutely. I think uh, where you start your career has a huge impact 
on your later progress in your career because it's sort of because you know you learn your leadership and management lessons from those who manage you and your peers yeah. and if that is set those expectations and those principles are set right at the beginning of your career then you have that mindset so uh, it was fantastic that you got that ig break at stanchard bangladesh because then you know you had the good foundation and you could see what was uh, a good culture and what was not um, interestingly you know i i liked your mention of this phrase boss worship you heard of you hear of hero worship idol worship work is worship first time i heard of boss worship i'll probably steal that phrase from you and use it elsewhere with your permission please <laughs> and i also remember one reason why i left corporate life was i distinctly remember this conversation that happened about a dozen years ago before i set up genesis the financial training company where my then boss uh, in a in a in a gcc company told me listen binod if you want to get ahead in this company you have to keep the big boy happy the big man happy and effectively <laughs> he he actually said that and that of course meant that i had to keep my boss happy uh, and that doesn't didn't necessarily mean that i had to keep him happy by working well or delivering outcomes uh, it was more of you know you kiss my ass because i had to kiss somebody's ass and this this is whole ladder or oh, chain yeah. of ass kissing going up and down right oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> right now let's not accentuate the positive right <laughs> and talk about good bosses or great bosses now we had an earlier conversation i was really fascinated when you briefly mentioned why you quit mashrek bank one of the region's largest financial institutions for an unknown group to be or to be their head of treasury right and yes how much you loved that job that he took up and it apparently had a lot to do with the ceo of that relatively unknown group now i am always fascinated by stories of um, inspirational leaders especially if they come from the region which to be quite frank lack in inspirational leadership at the corporate level tell me three things that others can learn from his thinking ah well um for two years i worked for an exceptionally intelligent and hard working person and i have to say i learned so much so much so much about managing investments hospitality real estate and uh, even equities and yes he had some great qualities and i loved working for him so for one you know he trusted me to represent him so not only did he take me along with him to meetings but he sent me to meet a lot of very high level people on my own as well you know i had a lot of autonomy in my work and how i arranged my life and my job he just wanted results and he trusted me to get them for him second i would say um and this is an important one he always praised his people in public and defended them even if he didn't like what we did so if he had to be angry with us for example it would be in private one on one and almost never in front of other staff right and definitely never in front of anyone outside the company so this was a very very good quality 
And uh, finally, I would say he was very forward thinking. And in fact, if you brought a new idea to him, he would get so excited with the new idea. And all he cared about was whether the idea had merit, yeah? And if it did, what we could do to implement it. So he appreciated people who were smart and talented. And even though he himself was so very intelligent, he had no problem listening to other people or learning from us. So yeah, I think these are it. I think it all goes back to what most people want from leaders, right, Aisha? I mean, you want to be, you want to have autonomy, you want to be trusted and respected. That's it, right? And yes. I think all these three points you mentioned, um, it's about trust and praise and forward thinking and open-mindedness all speaks to those two, three things that I mentioned. Um, and that's why people say, you know, people join companies and leave bosses. Um, Absolutely. Precisely because of this uh, dynamic that often happens. Now, of course, I mean, everyone has regrets in life, career, education, et cetera, et cetera, right? So this is now the regret question, right? <laughs> so if you look back, Aisha, on education, uh, health, wealth, happiness, and other popular measures and indicators of career and life, right? What are your three biggest regrets looking back and why? So look, uh, when you asked me this earlier, um, I thought really hard about this question. And um, I couldn't find anything that I regret. Um, I think I made the best decision that I could with what I knew at the time. So I don't really have that feeling of the road not taken. But I think there are a few things that I could have probably done a bit differently. Um, and I'm trying to make up for them now. So for one, I think I wish I'd been less absorbed with work and spent a little bit more time on life outside of work, you know, like pursuing my writing or my painting. These are things that I used to do before I joined my corporate life. and. Um, it's okay. I mean, I, I feel that I've missed it, but I'm trying to make up for it now. And I've started writing again. Um, and I suppose it's not too late, but, you know, I wish I hadn't given it up for so long. Um, I also wish that I could say no more often. Um, sometimes um, I don't say no, and I end up taking on too much for myself and I really can't manage. Um, I never say no to extra work or helping someone. And that often comes at the cost of my own sanity and my own well-being. So I think sometimes we all need to learn how to slow things down a little bit. And uh, I'm trying to do that now. And I'm trying to find my Zen. Um, I also wish uh, I'd be better at marketing myself. Okay, so this is more of an ongoing challenge. I think we've discussed this a little bit as well. Um, and I think the avenues now are so much easier. Um, you have all these mediums to actually have your story out there and to be able to reach people. And uh, life is primarily led online now. 
And I don't think I use social media to my advantage. But it's probably the easiest way to make a difference anymore. Um, so I guess, you know, regardless of the good or bad, um, I think I've learned a lot from my experiences. And it shaped me to become the person that I am. So, and I am quite happy with my life, really. And the only thing is, I think I just focus on what's ahead of me. I liked what you said, one particular phrase, you know, uh, that stuck in my mind, which is, I made the best decision I could with what I knew then. I think it's a very insightful statement because I myself sometimes wished I had not done something or I had done something. But then, like you said, if you think about what your state of mind or what your knowledge was at that point in time when you made that decision, you didn't know those things that you know now. Yes. So you couldn't have uh, made the right decision. So it's an interesting, interesting statement that, that you made. Um, and yes, in terms of being marketing yourself, I think uh, and we've talked about it. I think you are quite articulate and engaging and genuine. I think three qualities that really will connect with lots of people. I think you definitely should be out there. You have a blog, uh, which you haven't talked about uh, on, <laughs> sub, on Substack, which you, I think, write on a weekly basis about uh, financial markets. I do, yes. And, uh, and you're doing that more and more, more often on, on LinkedIn. So I think uh, we'll hopefully we'll see more of Thanks you writing you. out there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for encouraging me to put it on LinkedIn. I mean, I think sure. I needed that push. <laughs> now, you're a corporate banker, right? Uh, a dyed-in-the-wool expert, veteran corporate banker. So I've got to ask you, uh, with all this um, fintech and automation and talk of disruption that in banking and financial services that people keep talking about, right? What is the outlook for corporate banking globally? What is your view? Mm, this is an interesting one. Uh, okay, so let me tell you, I once read an article where they used AI uh, to screen small business loan applicants. So apparently, um, after the session, the system rejected him because he was sweating and uh, he seemed nervous. But later when they dug into it, they saw his financials were perfectly fine. But the gentleman was just nervous about talking to a computer. Uh, he didn't know what to expect. So you see, there are still some things that your gut can tell you or that humans can do uh, that a computer can't, right? So look, I think FinTech and AI would ideally make our jobs better. I think a lot of the repetitive tasks or the busy work um, could be eliminated. And um, I don't think AI could really replace corporate bankers altogether because I think the human element is still very important. Although um, I wouldn't mind having a Tesla robot to do some of my filing from time to time. <laughs> but uh, seriously speaking, I, I think it will just help us focus on the more important things you know, like relationship management and studying clients better. Uh, a lot of the time we do a very half-hearted job, 
right, in really getting to know the client and really advising them about what they should do about their business. Uh, we're just so busy putting out, you know, internal fires or managing internal reporting. And I hope that tech and automation can improve that and help us become more skillful at the job that we're actually supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So even in the field where the CFA program is very valid, which is investment management and wealth management, investment research, when people ask me or they express the anxiety in terms of will I be displaced at work by a robot, my answer is not necessarily so, right? I mean, robots can do certain things. They can't do certain things, at least as of now. And your best bet is to probably work on those things which the robots or machines can't do. Such as, yes. like you said, Aisha, the, I think that the, the, the personal touch, the human interaction, um, mm -hmm. deep insights about uh, the sector or the, or the business. These are things which I think are absolutely invaluable and will be even more uh, valuable and appreciated going forward, right? Absolutely. Right. Uh, you could go uh, for much more longer, Aisha, on this conversation because I feel <laughs> I, I just feel that you know we have a lot to talk about. But at some point, I suppose we have to wrap up. Uh, it's a podcast after all. And I'll, of course, sure. I ask you the I'll ask you the question which I ask all my um, an important question which I ask all my guests. Um, uh, now you have spent many years in corporate life, uh, multiple locations, multiple employers as we went through in the, uh, over the last uh, many minutes, right? Now, a lot of people are looking to enter banking and finance. Um, now, especially with the current situation, the pandemic, uh, job market imbalances, uh, skill imbalances, et cetera, et cetera. What are the three top career tips that you would give a youngster who's planning to enter a career this year or the next in banking or financial services? Um, would you mind if I give you four instead? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, so look, these are just very, very basic things. Um, one, read everything. Okay. So no matter what you decide to do, this will help you. And uh, I have over 700 books at home and I'm making sure my daughter also gets into this habit as well. I think a major problem with people these days is that you know we're so used to scrolling and skimming over information that we forget to read what's actually there, right? But trust me, reading will give you an edge over everyone else. Two, I'd say don't take shortcuts, hmm. right? So sometimes all we want to do is get to the top. And uh, in our zeal, we'll do anything to reach there. But honestly, the journey is often just as important as the destination. And what you learn along the way will make you better when you eventually reach the top. Three, I would say, own your mistakes and don't make excuses, right? The people that you're dealing with likely have years of experience and they will see right through you. So uh, don't make excuses, don't lie, you know, be a straight shooter, just find a way to fix the situation. And um, finally, I'd say, be humble in your learning process because who better to teach you 
than the guy who's already on the ground. Don't ever think that you're too high and mighty just because you have a fancy degree or a fancy qualification. There is never any substitute for experience. So be ready to learn from anyone, anytime, anywhere. Brilliant. That's it. I think uh, <laughs> I couldn't have encapsulated that in a better way. Uh, in terms of, uh, I think number one would be to read. Uh, secondly, don't take shortcuts. Own your mistakes, and finally, you know, show some humility uh, because no one knows everything, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to the end of this very interesting and insightful uh, session, Aisha. Thank you so much for taking time from your uh, hectic uh, work life uh, and family life to you know, uh, go through the script, add the questions and, you know, prepare yourself thoroughly. Uh, I think as is your want for this session, I think it has come out very well. I hope the listeners of this session would find it as interesting and, and insightful as I found it to be, uh, given your, the way, how articulate and engaging and genuine you have been throughout this session. Um, I, I hope and I, and I expect to see you more active on, uh, on, on, on professional networking, LinkedIn, blogging, talking about the financial markets. And uh, who knows, maybe you might even venture into mentoring, um, podcasting, <laughs> and other activities as well, right? I mean, definitely have the creds for that, right? So uh, it'll, be, it'll be good for people to hear of your views. Uh, it'll be interesting as well. Thank you so much once more, Aisha. And um, thank you for having me. Thank yeah. you for, uh, you know, suggesting this. And I think I've learned a lot, not just uh, about how to conduct a session like this, but also about myself as well. Brilliant. Thank you so much again. And I wish you the best in your career. Thank you, Vinod. Thank you. This is brought to you by The Real Finance Mentor. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you found it insightful and inspirational. If you did enjoy this episode, please drop us a review and spread the word. And be sure to check out more exclusive content on therealfinancementor.com and my LinkedIn profile, which is Binot Shankar CFA. Let's keep in touch. Just add your name to the mailing list on therealfinancementor.com and we'll tell you about new episodes, plus book reviews, upcoming events and blogs. Till the next time, onwards and upwards.